You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. Hey, welcome to church. So glad you guys are with us this this morning. I hope you had an awesome Easter as we got to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and so today as we kind of uh, in this, this in-between before we start our next series uh, in two weeks, um, I, I kind of just wanted to, to talk about this, this idea of after Easter, of kind of looking through scripture at the events as, after Easter about where we go after Easter, after the celebration of the resurrection. And so, um, but before I do, um, in the 1830s to 1850s, um, there was a massive migration out west um, utilizing something called the Oregon Trail, right? You, you know this, you've heard of this. Immediately, depending upon when you grew up, when you said Oregon Trail, some of you thought this. No, not that one, the other one. That greatest game ever made. Some of you are like, what? Kids, you don't understand. They used to have these things called floppy disks that were like this big, and oh, it was just incredible. Uh, my friends would do it in the library, and a teacher would come by, you're not supposed to play the game, they hit the power cord, and like all the computers turned off, like, oh, what happened? Um, like, you were playing Oregon Trail, dude, and you just, I was about to kill a buffalo, and you just, anyways. Um, but real talk, the real Oregon Trail, um, why I bring this up is my great-great-grandmother, um, her, sorry, let me back that up, my great-great-great-grandparents were on the Oregon Trail. Um, and this isn't, I haven't found any like news articles to substantiate this, so you may just think I'm making it up, but it's not, okay. Um, my great, great, great grandparents were on the Oregon Trail. They were with a, uh, a, you know, a caravan of other people with the wagons, with the whole nine yards. Uh, when someone in their family, someone in their party, uh, my great, great grandmother had not been born yet, but someone contracted measles. There's a big outbreak of measles, and so they had to, as the train is going on, they, they had to find a city, and they had to hunker down. And so they had to leave all of the other people that they were traveling with um, and stay in a city for about a month until the next caravan came through. And so here they are. They're, they're doing life with these people. They're, they're exploring out west. They're, they're going from Missouri to Oregon, and along this journey, they get sick, and they don't know if they're going to die. They don't know if they're going to make it. And so they have to say goodbye because everyone was going to wait for them. And so they left their party. They stayed hunkered down into a city for about a month, recuperated, joined the next caravan that went through. And after a little bit of time of traveling, they caught back up to their old caravan and they had all been killed by the Indians. Had they not gotten sick, I wouldn't be here. Had they gone and, and there was this like, wow, this, this one, you're heartbroken, but at the same time, they're, they're grateful for God sparing their lives through this. Why, why do I bring this up? Um, as with life, uh, there's often times that we don't know how things are going to work out. We don't know how things are going to operate. We, we don't know how things are, are, are going to, to make sense in the big picture, but we have to trust the results in the Lord's hands, Right? And it's, it's coming, out of, uh, coming out of big days like Easter where we, 
we celebrate the resurrection or coming out of, East, uh, of, of Christmas, of, of coming out of a, a retreat or a getaway or these, these, these mountaintop spiritual high moments. And it's this coming back down the mountain of, of like, where do we go from here? Like, what, what, do, we, what do we do with our, our ordinary life? Because our, our house after Christmas looks like a bomb went off. There's like presents everywhere. There's wrapping paper. Kids are hopped up on M&Ms for like a week. It's like, there's, there's just the, the clutter everywhere. But, but more than the stuff, what is it that we do with our lives, with our walk with Jesus? Because what I've learned is that it's not those moments that like, that change us. They change our perspective. They give us insight. They, they give us laser focus for a moment. Like think about it. As a church, we, we've been focusing on Holy Week for, for you know, this buildup. My wife and I, we were going through this devotional, this, these 40 days before uh, the resurrection and preparing our hearts and our minds. And, and, it, and it comes and it happens. We celebrate, but then, then what do we do? Like how, how do we take the, the fire, take the, 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 you know, what God is doing in us and that passion and how do we carry it out in our everyday life. Um, but those moments aren't what sustain us. It's what we do afterwards that carries us through. Retreats are awesome. Conferences are great. Easter, Christmas, like big days in church, that's awesome, but that's not the thing, right? Those, that's the crescendo in which we celebrate, but it's what we do with our everyday life on Monday morning afterwards. It's, it's what we do the, the two weeks after, like how we allow that revelation, that, that, that insight to carry out in our ordinary, di- ordinary day life. For me, like prepping this message felt like that too. It's like you get to this moment and then afterwards it's like, oh, I'm tired, you know? Easter happens and we, we prepare and we plan and we pray and we, we, we do everything we can and then it's just been like a, I'm just tired. It's like, what, how, do, how do we like, how can we let the excitement of the resurrection like dwindle so fast? How do, we, how do we carry through with our life? And the reality is, think about it. Think about the disciples for just a moment. For thousands of years, they've, they've known the scriptures. They've known that the, the Messiah is coming. They know that, that a king was going to come. He was going to establish his reign, his rule, his, his, uh, his kingdom here on earth, that he was going to come and deliver his people. And they've, they've known about this and known about this. And then Jesus shows up and says, hey, the kingdom of God is here. I'm the king. And they're like, all right, this is interesting. This could be the moment. Um, people decide that he's the one. Some people didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They ignored it. Um, others, they saw the miracles that, that Jesus did. They believed. They, they, I mean, they saw the, the blind person get healed. They saw the miracle of the fish and the loaves. They, they, they saw all of these happen. they like, wait, I attended Lazarus' funeral, and now he's alive again. Like, they saw all of these things, and they're like, maybe, just maybe, this is him. And they, they follow him, and they rally their, their life around him. And um, not only did they believe, but they gave up everything to follow him. They gave up their jobs, their, their families, their careers, their, their own desires. They gave up everything to follow Jesus, to walk with him for three years. And then it's this peak where you're like, here's where it's going to happen. He's entering into Jerusalem the, on Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry. And, and you would think if a king is coming to establish a kingdom, right, to overthrow the Romans, it's like, where's his army? You know, what's his What's his plan? Are they waiting outside in the wilderness? And it's this crescendo of they're like, here's when it's going to happen. Here's when it's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, he's 
betrayed, arrested, nailed to a cross, and dies. And they're like, where's the big moment? Like, this, you, you were, said you were going to do these things, and then all of a sudden, he's dead. He, he's, he's placed in a tomb. Where, where do you go from here? And that's exactly like where the disciples were at. Now, we have the benefit and the beauty of knowing that whole part of the story in its entirety. But for the moment, they, they were in the middle of it. And here's, here's the point I wanted us to focus our hearts on this morning, is that God will always do what he says he will do, but it probably won't be done how you think it should be done. Right? We all know what's best for our own lives. Admit? You guys just don't want to admit it. Okay. We know what's best. We have our plans that we want God to fulfill and to do. Like, God, these are the instructions, right? We want the, the God-like stamp of approval on our plans. And God's like, hmm, your plans are not good, you know? Like, we, we, we want that. God will always, always, always do what he says he will do. Because if he doesn't, that goes against his character and his nature. If God makes a promise, God fulfills a promise. God has never broken a single promise. God does not lie. That is against his, his, his character, against who he is. Like, so when we read scripture, when we open up God's word, and we see promises that are applicable to you and I today, here now, God is faithful to do what he says he will do. But it, it generally, usually my rule of thumb is when we take our plans and we're like, this is how it's gonna work, usually hold that lightly. Because <laughs> God's gonna be like, mm, nope. I heard a pastor say one time, we know that, hey, Jesus is coming back. We don't know the, when it's going to happen. And, and he had a funny thought. He said, I, he wonders how many times throughout history people have actually figured out when it's going to happen and then God just changes the date again, you know? Um, but God doesn't operate the way that you and I think he should or sometimes the way that you and I want him to. But God is always good. That doesn't change. God's promises are always fulfilled. That doesn't change. So we have to trust that God is the one who holds the outcome and God who is the one who determines how the outcome plays out. So if you have your copy of the scriptures, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 24 today. Uh, we're gonna read a, a small passage um, looking at a few disciples right after the resurrection. So Luke chapter 24, I'll give you a second. Uh, we're gonna start in verse 13. And we're going to go to 21. It says, that same day, this was uh, Sunday, Easter Sunday, the, the day of the resurrection. It says, that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, the of course, they're, they're talking about Jesus, talking about the resurrection, talking about all the, the series of events, the, the, the crucifixion, the betrayal, the, the he's buried, where did he go? Like everything in that they're talking about. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus suddenly came and began walking with them, which is just, I love that. Um, how Jesus always answers people's thoughts before they actually say them as words. And here they are discussing all the stuff that happened and Jesus immediately with them, walking, but God kept them from recognizing him. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? 
they stop short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that they have happened here in the last few days. All right, he needed to chill out there. You're being a little arrogant, right? You must be the only person. He's like, how, how, how could you not hear? Because they're, they're walking from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. Some think they were there for the, the Passover. They're walking uh, back home. It's like a two and a half, three hour journey back to Emmaus. Jesus is in the midst. And I love how Jesus, his questions are always so poignant. It's never just pointing out like, why are you not believing? He's, he's, he's wanting people to be on this journey of realization, of seeing that he is the truth. Um, verse 19, what things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet. Now I want you to, to notice some of the things that they're saying here, this, some of the, the truths that they're declaring. It said he was a prophet who did powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And all this happened about three days ago. Right? They... What's interesting, they, they believe all of these things and they get to this realization and say, hey, we had, we had hoped. We believed everything he said. We believed that, that this was God's son, that he was the Messiah, that he was gonna free us. We, we had hoped, but it didn't happen. And I, and I think sometimes we, we can operate, I, I know for myself, I operate sometimes in this same boat. Like we we trust God to bring healing into relationship, but we just don't think that it should start with our forgiveness of somebody else because we don't like that part, right? We don't, that's, that's the uncomfortable part. Like we, we trust God to bring freedom, um, but we don't think that it should take daily surrender of our lives and carrying our cross. Like we, we, we expect God to do something, but we want the, the easy path. We want the, the, the Amazon two-day shipping way. Like we want the, the easy solution to that. We trust God to promote, to lift up the humble, but we don't think um, serving is the way to get there. We trust God to bring healing, um, but we, we don't want God to work in our heart at the same time. You're like, no, God, maybe I wasn't clear. This was what I needed healing for, not over here. Like, that's, that's fine. And God's like, no, I'm, I'm not gonna pick and choose parts. I, I want to work in your whole life. And usually when we ask God to work in an area and we surrender an area, God's like, all right, I'm gonna address that, but I'm also gonna address this first. Because the heart has to be addressed, not just the physical and not just the behavior. But we have to trust God's process. We trust God to change our hearts, but we don't think it should be uncomfortable, right? Like, why does it have to hurt? We want the comfort. We want to be changed in the comfort of our own ways. We believe that God can heal, set free, restore, reconcile, but we get married to our perspective of how it should happen. Hey, we had hoped that he was going to be the Messiah. Powerful prophet, did miracles, did all these things. We, we had hoped, but it just isn't going to work out. So, as we continue through this passage, three reminders, I think, for, for myself, if, if no one else here, for myself, 
but for all of us as we look at this, this, this road of following Jesus, this, this, this idea that it's a, it's a journey and what he's wanting to do in us through it, not just like the, the, the point. The first thing is this, is that we have to be aware of his presence along the journey. We have to be aware of his presence along the journey. Like we, we look for God in the, the destination often and not like this, this journey, not like this, this, this walk, this discovery. Uh, where we look that God is the, the work of God is like the goal when, when God is saying, no, the, the whole game is part of it. Like it's, it's a journey that he takes us on. It's not just a, a one moment, but it's like God is wanting to, us to learn to, to walk with him. And how crazy, like he, he's walking with him and God uh, prevents them from recognizing him, but they're, he's very poignant with everything that he's saying, but they fail to see, well, because God doesn't allow them to see that he's with them on the journey. I think sometimes we, we think that like following Jesus or the presence of God is like a, an app that we can just pull up on our phone to, to do something. Like we can control, you can control your thermostat from here or your lights or whatever. You can, some of y'all like throw dog biscuits to your dog with one of those robot cameras or your cats. If you have a cat and you do that, that's just, we'll talk later. Um, we'll have a prayer team down here after front. Uh, um, I mean, it's not that I hate cats. I just... Don't prefer them to anything. Um, just playing. If you love, you're a cat person. Um, but we sometimes we look at the presence of God as like an app, and it's like it's this way we access we we access it at, at a moment when we need to do something. But the the presence of God, the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, is not that. It's the operating system that controls everything. Like it's not this this one moment or this one thing we, we access in order to do something. God is wanting us to walk in a way that we realize that He's with us in the journey of life. Like Monday morning when you get up, not just in your quiet time, but on your commute. Like when you're at work and you're talking to the coworker, when you're when you're on your way home and somebody cuts you off, when you're like in your daily life, in the moments that you wouldn't think is a holy moment, every moment can be a holy moment if we surrender it unto Him. And what he's saying is, I, I, God is not interested in robots that access something, a power for a moment. God is interested in a relationship with his creation who wants to walk with us daily, every moment, commune with us. It's a different way of operating. Even for me practically, like when, I, when I'm preparing for a message, sometimes the, the greatest like revelations of the greatest insight is not from like the hours of preparation and studying. Sometimes it's just in a moment of prayer. It's just in a moment of being still in the presence of God when he's like, like the message I told you about from last week, it was in the middle of like, I was on a walk on the treadmill and the Lord just downloaded the entire message to me, which never happens. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. I can spend 30 hours toiling over something or I can spend a moment in the presence of God and he can do the same work. He can do even greater. In our life, it's not just about like the moments. It's about how we walk down an ordinary everyday life surrendered to the work of Jesus. So let's keep going. Uh, verse 22. Mm, there it is. Okay, they're talking. They said, we had hoped, you know, this would happen. This happened three days ago. Verse 22. Then some women from our group of his followers were at the tomb early this morning. And they came back with, with an amazing report. 
And they said his body was missing. And they had seen angels who told them that Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and surely enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. I don't know why they didn't believe the women. Um, Should have. Verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to, to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the scriptures the things concerning himself. The second thing we have to realize is that we have to filter what we experience. We have to filter what we experience. Jesus just has an amazing Bible study with him, right? The most incredible Bible study ever called right here that happens. He takes them through the entire writings of Moses through every prophet. He's like, hey, remember when uh, this said it was gonna have to happen and it did? Remember like when, when Jesus would have to, the Messiah would have to be betrayed? Like all of these things, he's, he's walking him through all of it. The problem is we experience things and we take them uh, for what they are instead of filtering them through truth. Instead of like, because experiences are real, like they, they inundate us, like what we walk through is real. I'm not saying it's not real, but, but we have to not just take it for, for what it is in the moment. Like we, we have to have a mechanism of evaluation. We have to have a way of a, being able to say, hey, this, this is a momentary thing. This is just a, a series of events. This isn't the whole story. Um, some of the other translations say they were slow of heart to believe. Um, like <laughs> there was a there was a uh, there was a week that my wife actually wrote down the events of it because it was there was so many things we're like this isn't real this we're gonna look back and be like that didn't happen but there was a there was a week uh, my grandparents had passed away and so there was a staff retreat that got um, rescheduled uh, for this week and then leading up to it, it as a week of my birthday. Uh, leading up to it, um, everyone in my house got the flu, except for me. Um, and then we, we had just got back from a retreat with students, and uh, my kids had caught lice on the retreat. Now, you had lice. You're like, oh. I was one of the parents like, ew, lice? Oh. And then they got lice, and I'm like, it's real. Like, it's, it's like a, I didn't judge anyone after that for a moment of my life. And so uh, the stomach bug was kind of like in and out of our house as well. Um, and I remember sitting on the back porch. We had to miss this rescheduled staff retreat because all these things were going. We're on the back porch. Uh, family's sick. We're combing through the kids' hair. <laughs> and my wife was gracious enough for my birthday. She, she had schedules from friends. She's like, go play golf. Get out of the house. Like, you're sick. I mean, you're not sick. You're, you're, you're healthy. But there, there's probably like eight other events that I'm forgetting. But of all of these, it felt like it was just like all of these things piled on us. And it was just, it was real. And it felt like this is never going to end. And life does that. When we go through heavy stuff, when we go through like heartache and disappointment, it feels like that's the whole story. Like there's no more pages after that. It has this way of, of, of sitting with so much weight. And that's exactly where the disciples were. The, the moment that Jesus didn't do exactly what they thought he was going to do felt like a period, end of book, close it. But we have to filter what we experience. 
And that's what Jesus did. He, he took them through the scriptures to say, hey, here's the truth. Didn't this actually, when you, when you pass it by the truth, it actually is, it had to happen. It was part of the story. Um, doubt is something that everyone walks through. Not just like doubt in what tomorrow is gonna hold, like doubt in believing that God is, is still writing your story, believing that, that, that God is at times even good. And I saw this, there's, there's four main sources of doubt in our lives. The first is unlived truth, um, meaning that there's a difference between what we profess and the way that we live. And sooner or later, those two paths cross. And so when we have truths that we profess that we don't live out, that creates doubt. Because like I said, they, they have to cross at some point and when they do, there's a source of doubt. The second one is unexamined faith. You can grow up in a Christian home and you can, you can know all the things, but then when you go off to college and you have a, uh, an unbelieving professor or when you, you, you grow up in this great environment of other believers who you know, are great influence and support around you and you, you get that job with the you know, very verbal and, and vocal atheist, or you, you get into an environment where you have this, um, this faith that hasn't been tested, where life has just been really easy and you believe that, hey, God works all things for good, but then you actually walk through things that don't look good and don't feel good and don't appear to be good. What do you do with that? Now you have an intersection where you can actually believe, God, can you use this for good? And it's those unlived, unexamined faith. Um, the third is unanswered prayers. We ask God to do something miraculous in our life or in the life of a loved one, and it doesn't happen. It's real. As a kid, I prayed for my mom's healing, and she was healed. As an adult, I prayed for my dad's healing, and he wasn't. What do you do with that? How do you filter that? I know that he's healed and he's whole right now in heaven in the presence of his savior. So when we have unanswered prayers, we have to realize that God, every answer to our prayers, it's God's kindest answer. You know that? When we pray something and God says no, his no is kinder than the yes that we want. Because God is perfect in all of his ways. He's a perfect father. And then lastly is undeserved suffering. Bad things happen to everyone. We had a week of craziness. It was a week of just absolute chaos. Bad things happened to you and I. There was a one month span where uh, my wallet was stolen from my car and somebody broke into my wife's uh, car. Like her car was parked on Woodruff Road. Like the sidewalk of Woodruff Road parked here and somebody smashed out her window and sold her purse out of it. Like who does that? It is 2022, people. Like, do we not have ways to prevent this? It's, it's not, not now, but it's when it happened, sorry. You're like, he doesn't even know the date. What an idiot. Um, but it's like, bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to people who aren't so good. Jesus said it's gonna rain on the just and the unjust alike. And if we have a perception that that. God only makes our life uh, easier at times, we're gonna be disappointed. God always makes us better, but it doesn't mean that it's easier to 
broad and wide is the road that leads to destruction, and many find it, but narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Right? It's, a, it's a road he wants us to walk. A psychiatrist um, who's a Christian explains, he says that in relationships in general, individuals who have been hurt by lost hopes tend to protect themselves against future, dis- future disappointment by lowering their sights and dimming their aspirations. The same is true in our relationship with God. Uncertain that God will protect us, we proactively protect ourselves. To avoid further emotional and theological pain, we lower our expectations, we edit our dreams, and we shrink back from God through fear-driven planning, endless worry, hypervigilance, or numbing of hope. With each choice to self-protect, another layer is added to insulate our hearts from attentiveness to God's presence. He said, favor is not what sets us free. Um, Sorry, favor is not what frees us from self-protection. Suffering is. Not suffering itself, but the choice within suffering to trust, to hope, and to love. We have to trust that God's answer is always his kindest answer that when we walk through life, that we, we can't pray things that go against the character of God. He's, he's never gonna say yes to those things. We have to trust God in the midst of it. When it, if it looks like chaos, if it looks upside down, we have to realize that maybe God is still writing the story, that God isn't done yet. If the end result isn't God getting glory and isn't goodness, We have to not think that there's automatically a period that the story is over. This isn't just like think it, believe it, prosperity gospel. No, this is saying that that God works all things for good. Sometimes that good doesn't happen while we're here on earth. Sometimes the goodness we, we see in eternity. But we have to trust that no matter what circumstance or situations in his hands are far better than you and I. Let's finish up our passage, verse 28. We'll pick it back up. It says, by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Now, these disciples weren't in the, at the Last Supper. They, they, they didn't have that. Immediately we think, broke the bread. This is the Last Supper. It's like this, this whole like thing coming back in fulfillment. Um, but they weren't there at that. They made seen Jesus break the bread before with the miracles. Uh, verse 30. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment he disappeared. <laughs> like, what a cliffhanger, right? They realized in that moment it was, it was him. We keep going and we'll come back. Verse 32, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem where they were just from, another seven miles, and they found the 11 disciples and the other who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Think about it. What was it that, that, that caused them to open their eyes? Was it when they saw how he blessed the bread? Was it God opened their eyes? Was it as Jesus broke the bread, they saw the holes in his hands? 
what caused them to have this revelation? What, what caused them to have this, this shift in their hearts? And lastly, is that faith is not solid when it's proven, but when it's personal. For the disciples, it wasn't just Jesus illuminating the scriptures and all those things. We think that faith is substance when it's proven, when we, when we have the facts to substantiate it. But that's not faith. Faith is, is our, our trust and beliefs and hopes things unseen, right? But what makes it solid? Yes, we, there's, there's evidence everywhere. We can, we can support things, but what, that's not what gives us a solid faith. It's when it becomes personal. They had this encounter in the, with the presence of Jesus, and it was, it was, it was personal. It was like um, teaching my, my three kids how to swim. Uh, all different experiences. Some loved the water. Some did not like water in their face. Um, but it's like the quintessential moment for a dad of, like, getting them to jump off the diving board, right? You know, you're, for some, it was really easy. For some, it was like, okay, this, this summer is going to pass, and you're not going to jump in the pool. But, it, like... I could show them how I can jump off the diving board. I could have a thousand kids jump off the diving board. See, look, they didn't die. Look, that one didn't die. That one, no, he didn't die either. You know, like he, he bobbed back up. Um, like I could show them that. All the kids in the pool could be like, look, here, here are the three steps, okay? Here is how I can prove to you this. For all of them, they finally had to get to the point where they trusted me enough. Dad, are you going to let me drown or not? Even though you have a life, I couldn't drown you if I tried. You have a life vest on. Like those things are, you know? Like I, I'm like, you have to just do it. And you have to step out. You have to jump and you have to trust that as soon as you hit the water, I'm gonna pull you up. We're gonna celebrate. It's gonna be awesome. The facts weren't enough. The eyewitnesses that they witnessed of other people doing it wasn't enough. It was when it was personal for them. And, and, and for you and I, we can, we can glean and look at other people's stories and testimonies and be fueled by that. That's great. That's awesome. We want to celebrate people's testimonies and God working in their life. But when it becomes solid, when it becomes of substance, not plastic, not, not, not shaky, but when it becomes, when our faith becomes solid is when it becomes personal. I mean, Jesus even asked Peter, no, 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 not who do other people say I am. Who do you say that I am? And when we have a personal revelation of who Jesus is, of what he's doing in our life, that's substance. That's solid. That, that's, that's something that we can walk through, that we don't need uh, an Easter service to finally like, like be awoken. Like for some, some came to life and, and like day one for them was Easter. And that's awesome. We celebrate that. But the longer we walk with Jesus those moments are great for clarity, but it's not what sustains us. It's a realizing that, hey, God wants to walk with me on Tuesday morning and Thursday evening and, and Friday midday and every part of my life. We recognize him along the journey of our everyday life. And there's beauty in that because we don't do it alone. Because if we did it alone, we'd be in trouble. Some of you are like, yep, facts, you know? We realize that, that, that our faith, it has to be personal. 
And then we also have to take our experiences of what we see, what we feel, what we're going through, and we have to filter them not through our emotions, but through truth, something that's solid, something that's real, something that's living and active and powerful. And when we do that, we enter into a new rhythm of walking through life, a way that we see that his, his burden is light, that his yoke is easy. As we follow Jesus with our everyday life, we find the joy in the daily stuff. We actually live out the way that he called us to live, not in these spurts here or there, but a daily walking with the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you We thank you just in the fact that even though you are infinitely powerful and holy and big and good, somehow you have given us the absolute privilege and honor of being able to walk with you. That you give us your Holy Spirit to do life with us, to lead us, to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to give us power, to give us truth. And Lord, that's humbling. Because all of us, there's, there's times in our life that we don't even want to walk with ourselves for being real. But God, you promised to never leave us nor forsake us. God, help us to realize and help us to be aware of your presence along our journey. Lord, when life seems to disappoint us, God, let us not be so clenched onto circumstances to dictate our joy and our happiness in our future. But God, we would hold tight to your word. We would let it be the filter in which we would process what we experience and feel and believe. And Father, help us to walk out a rhythm of daily life that sees you in the midst of it, that sees you working and moving in every detail. And so, God, that we see that our life with you is not just an end goal, a finish line, God. Our, Our life with you is a journey. It's this beautiful symphony, this beautiful orchestra being, uh, being played out. And that we have the privilege with you as the conductor. So, Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to lift up the name above every name. So, Father, we honor you. We love you. And it's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, we love you. I hope you have an awesome rest of your weekend. As always, our prayer team will be down here, even if you love cats. Uh, But we would love to pray with you. We love you guys. Have a great week. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.